Hey guys, Terry here. So this week Travis is out traveling now. He'll be here in Vietnam actually tomorrow. So he's off the hook for today. It'll just be me talking a little bit about crowdfunding, uh, self-funding, and kind of making your own product too. So uh, this week we'll talk about why I'm doing a Kickstarter and kind of the events and backstory that led up to this too. So if you have any questions, comments, uh, make sure to let me know. Terry at buildmyonlinesore.com or shoot it to me on Twitter at it's me, Terry Lynn. So to understand where we're going to get started, we got to take a step back and look at where I was about a year and a half ago when I started Ballo Leather. So uh, back then I had about five products that are on the store right now. Uh, really only two out of five really kind of move in the store and sell pretty well. So what happened was that when I found my supplier, the first product I ever did, the passport holder, uh, I did a pre-sale in the mastermind called Dynamite Circle. It's kind of a narrow market. Uh, not really a general market wide enough and so one mistake i made i think was i didn't test it to a wider market where i didn't know the people uh, that were around me so either through amazon ppc other channels i didn't really do that and i got a little overexcited by the pre-sale and dived head into this first uh, without really kind of knowing what i was doing so i was very lucky to have a supplier where the minimum orders was also very low they were only at about 20 or 30 units as i did when I launched with five SKUs. So it wasn't that big of a cost when I started out. And the other second, and I think the second mistake I made was I underestimated the cost of acquisition. So knowing the supplier, having visited them, and the margins were good on the supply side in the sense that uh, each wallet that sold, I had pretty healthy margins. Uh, even after shipping, I had about 50%. And what happened was that the acquisition side uh, was always a little bit shaky. So I did some guest posts, I did some YouTube videos, but I never really found one that was kind of scalable and kind of sustainable over the long term. So uh, over the course of the year, I kind of plugged away at that until around May or June last year uh, when a friend Nick Rammel over at Elevator Life, uh, they, maybe you know them from the Kickstarter campaigns at Lexel Watches, or Vincero Collective. So these guys are experts at sourcing. They moved it right after college to start hustling for side jobs, whether it's sourcing slippers, you know, bowling balls, textiles, things like that, watches uh, for US clients on behalf of the factories too. So they were kind of like the middleman agents and they really built up a skill set where they knew how to get things made, how to get things prototyped, how to move product from the ports to the US and how to do fulfillment. So as we were having this conversation when he was here in Vietnam, he was saying, look, you should go do crowdsourcing because the hard part's actually already done. So when you look at crowdsourcing, a lot of the projects on there are people just with an idea and they haven't thought about shipping, import duties, uh, freight, customs, all that stuff. When he was looking at me and he said, look, you already did this once, you know what's going on, you might as well do it and even worst case, you know, nothing happens and you, you lose nothing. So I've always kept it on the back of my mind until a couple months ago when I talked to a guy, Vincent Ning over at Bomber Battle. Uh, his team reached out from the Kickstarter campaign. Um, so he runs a design studio called Elliot Havoc out in San Francisco. Uh, they've done over 15 campaigns, including Bomber Barrel, 400K, uh, Havoc Watch, 350K, Halo Belt, I think 150K. So I think all in all, they raise over a million. And their model is that they just launch new products every year, probably four to five products a year. And after that, they have team members, either interns or upcoming entrepreneurs who kind of take that and run with it after the Kickstarter to build the business. And so. This is when I realized that I think crowdfunding was not just a one project thing. It could actually be kind of a sustainable business in itself in the sense that you're always going to the market to validate an idea before you even make something too. So I think there's a lot of confusion about how crowdfunding works, especially the mob mentality and kind of how the mechanics work. So the basis of crowdfunding comes from the patron model in the artist world where uh, artists would say do some paintings and if you like what they do you would give them some money and you can take a painting home so coincidentally the founder of kickstarter was actually one of these guys in new york he, i believe he was a 
broke artist in New York, and he started Kickstarter as a way to help his artist friends and himself fund their projects. So they've always leaned towards artists and kind of this creative space of people and helping them get money to do what they do. And it's interesting, if you look at Mozart and Beethoven, they actually use this model to raise money back in the day for concerts and the print work, uh, actually. So what happens is it's the same model as the patron model. It's kind of a mix between altruism slash capitalism, uh, but the internet just supercharges this in the social aspects. Some people say it's kind of like a fad, but the more you look at it, I think the bar is getting higher in the sense that you can't just sketch something on a napkin and put it on Kickstarter now. I think people are getting smarter now. Uh, you can no longer just kind of throw something up there and see what happens unless it's truly innovative. But then you run into the obstruction where people will start questioning you. Can you actually deliver this product? Uh, people haven't burned on both Kickstarter and Indiegogo. And I think everyone's just getting smarter and smarter. And I think the bar is getting higher too. And you're seeing this with different products too. If you look at the projects that do over well over a million, these guys have a track record or built-in audience. So, so they've either been having a blog, website, business for the past couple of years, and this is just part of their business model where they're bringing something new to the market. It's not someone completely new uh, in this thing. And every month on the design category, there's about 500 to 600 projects live. So not all of them get funded. According to Kickstarter, I think only half or less uh, get funded. So plenty of examples where I think people take these misconceptions and they start a project, uh, you know, kind of delusional and naive. Just look at the fashion section. So even with the success rate of less than 50%, why should you consider crowdfunding? So this kind of ties back to an article I read over at Billy Murphy's blog, Forever Jobless, where he talks about EV and millionaires of math. So in the post, he talks about how he used to play professional poker. And in poker, there's this concept called expected value, where it's the average returns for doing a specific action over a period of time. So say, if I give you a coin, you flip a coin, uh, heads or tails, uh, since it's 50-50, over the long term, if you keep choosing heads, you should be making 50 cents off it. Just like if you chose tail, you should be making 50 cents, right? Very straightforward very easy to understand. So what happens when this is different? So let's say crowdfunding, you do a B2C project. Nine out of 10 times your project doesn't work. You lose $500 making samples, right? So you have a 90% failure chance. 90% uh, times $500 is about negative $450. You're gonna lose that much 90% of the time, right? But 10% of the time, one out of 10, if you actually hit your funding goal, say 15,000, which is a very reasonable goal in, these, in this day and age, as of 2015, uh, you're gonna make $1,500. And if you add those two together, 1,500 minus 450, uh, the combined expected value is plus $1,000. So the right move is to actually go ahead and do it over the long term. But it's actually much more complicated than that. And as a full disclaimer, I'm still figuring this out, but more than just the math, it's about testing your product demand to a wider audience. And I think making your product is a little bit tricky because you can slowly build it up, but I think crowdfunding is a quicker way to jumpstart and test the demand on a wider scale. So in 4-Hour Workweek, Tim Ferriss says, what, you do PPC ads, you list stuff on Amazon. But I think with crowdfunding, you'll know it much quicker within 30 days, whether it works or whether it doesn't. And if it doesn't, you know what needs to be changed compared to slowly iterating it over the course of a year, tweaking a PPC campaign, uh, things like that. Now, if you watch the show Shark Tank in this season, season six, there's a lot of businesses on there that started on as Kickstarters, where they built initial momentum, either with 100K, 50K, 500K, went to standalone e-commerce, and then now they're on Shark Tank. And I think even if your project doesn't work out, there's a certain momentum built in because you've acquired leads and customers at a very cheap cost, basically your sample costs and the time and energy you spent into the campaign. So even if your campaign doesn't work out, say you get 50 to 100 people who backed you with a pledge, that's a lot of leads that you can go back to, talk to people, refine your product, refine your marketing, versus getting them through your email funnel, opt-in, creating a website, you know, doing all this mumbo jumbo internet marketing stuff. And I think that's a much more straightforward path, although the work to get there 
and time is much more compressed and intense but i think the result uh, is probably better especially if you're doing a b2c consumer product so does this mean you should go on crowdfunding well it depends right so if you're selling industrial chemicals uh special dentist equipment or you know kind of metal cages uh for animal shelters it really it really doesn't make sense because by far the most popular projects are b2c campaigns and remember that you're going direct to consumers so if you're doing b2b stuff most people won't understand what you're doing whereas like a b2c if you're doing some pet design project it's a lot more easy to understand or even food uh, it's kind of what tends to gravitate towards uh, these platforms and i think a couple years ago it used to be very tech gadget friendly uh, i think now you're seeing in 2015 you're seeing some fashion uh, shoes belts pants other niches gaming things that are becoming much more mainstream as the platform kind of gets bigger too whereas i think 2009 2013 uh, kickstarter was still kind of figuring itself out in the sense that it was still an early adopter phase whereas now you're seeing it on the news more often you're turning it on shark tank here and there so i'd recommend signing up on the kickstarter and indiegogo newsletter just to see what's going on in case this is something you want to do down the line uh, and if you've done this before like a few of you i've talked to i'm happy to hear your feedback on this episode so if you go down this path your main costs are really just your samples website and any tools you use like aweber opt-in page uh, things like that and whereas if you make your own product you got to do the whole mlq you got to do all the freight forwarding shipping fulfillment and then you got to find the demand. So I think one thing, the biggest thing about this that I'm testing out is that is the acquisition model better than doing this on your own? And right now I think yes, but uh, we'll see as this uh, progresses. But I think the biggest benefit to crowdfunding is that it prevents you from going down a path, building something that has no momentum. And I think that's really the most expensive thing to pay for it, not just your sample costs, time and money spent and all that stuff because once that time is gone uh, you never get it back so hope you like this episode uh, one thing i'm testing out regarding my project is something called thunderclap it's a tool that allows you to post a social media message on a synchronized date and time so basically a lot of people opt into this campaign and then if it's successful uh, a message will go out on everyone's facebook or twitter profiles uh, on the day so if you've been a long time listener here it would mean the world to me if you could opt in to post a message here uh, sharing the campaign when it goes live i don't really ask much from you on the show and this pretty much just automates everything for you you just opt in once and then the post will go live whenever my campaign launches and you'll be one of the first people to know and it'd be awesome if you could help me out this small way so if you want information about how this thunderclap works go over to buildmyonlinestore.com slash kickstarter and that's it for this week and travis is here next week so we'll be recording this next episode face to face and uh, we'll post a picture to on uh, the Facebook page and all that stuff. So thanks for tuning in and we'll catch you guys next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Build My Online Store podcast. If you want the show notes, make sure to check out the website at buildmyonlinestore.com. If you got an e-commerce store, every two weeks I lead a live mastermind call with about five or six of the listeners in two separate groups where we work openly together and solve a business problem that you have. And we're all there to support each other. So if this sounds like a cup of tea, make sure to check us out at buildmyonlinestore.com slash mastermind. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll catch up with you guys next week.